Welcome to the office, everyone. Uh, the new office. This is Andrew Delulo. This is Christian Leestrom. And we are Amusing Council, and we are recording this in our new offices at 31 Elm Street. Having, just moved, having just moved this week, uh, we're excited to be in the new space, and we're really excited to have you here with us. Yes, uh, so today we're going to be talking about employment law, specifically what happens when employment ends. Yeah, oh, firing. Yeah, the firing. Terminating people. We're yeah. talking about the fire. Oh, the no, fire. we're not. Okay, if you say terminating people, I'm going to assume, you know, a guy in a motorcycle jacket with a grenade launcher walking around. That's not, that's not on. No, no, we'll, Just be, firing. we'll be back with another one on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, firing people. Uh, we're talking about the Bartle factors. We're talking a little bit about all the stuff that's surrounding the end of employment. And uh, just, you know, a fun little conversation, I think. Uh, this is uh, hopefully an installment in our employment law series. Oh, oh we'll come I back to this well. Very much want to hear Christian talk more about this. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we really enjoy doing this podcast and we hope you enjoy listening. Uh, until next time. Great time, folks. Thanks. So I... I think this one's going to be in your wheelhouse, actually, Christian. Um, well, how about you? How about you tell me what it is, and then I'll agree or disagree. No, no, I'm pretty sure I know your I, I know your wheelhouse. Uh, no, okay. So actually, I'm going to tell you a story because I heard something. I overheard a story that I think is slightly wrong, but I'm hoping that you can figure out where it's wrong and you know uh, walk uh, walk through it with me. So I overheard a conversation, uh, two people talking about a third individual. Okay. Who uh, had, who, no, sorry, they were considering uh, quitting. Okay. Quitting their job. And the uh, one, so they're talking about their mutual friend, and one's like, well, no, uh, she should uh, definitely quit because she'll get severance then. If you're fired, you don't get severance. So basically, she said, or they said, uh, she should uh, quit and, and get her severance because if she's fired, she gets nothing. And, I'm okay, like, okay, I'm fairly certain that's not correct. Well, well, right. I mean, there is there is a matter of like an employment contract, but you do have the Employment Standards Act. And I'm well, sure hey, well, you said this is going to be my wheelhouse. You're going to let me talk. Okay, or? yeah, yeah. All right, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, that's really weird, and I kind of had to squint a little bit to understand how that was even wrong because it was okay. Yeah, that's very odd. You, there's very little I can imagine. There are very few situations I can imagine where you would get more out of quitting than you would from getting fired. I'm gonna use air quotes here. Uh, so this goes to a basic misapprehension, I think, of, that people have about how their employment is terminated. Um, yes, yeah, and I think a, that's probably so correct. He, the, the pro, okay, so one of the things in this area that complicates matters is the overuse and abuse of the term notice, right? So, oh yeah, it is one of those overloaded terms. Yeah. So yeah. one so one of the things that happens is that people throw around or they hear this word notice and it's used interchangeably to mean a couple of different things. Yeah. <laughs> when in fact, I like to use the terms notice and pay in lieu. And I'll describe that generally now. Yeah. So when you're fired from a job, right? Uh, the employment. Okay, let's say you're not unionized. Let's say you're one of the many people. The right, majority. Yeah, we, of the we have to start off by saying that you're not unionized. We'll get to because... unions in a little bit because unions, uh, uh, different things apply to unions. But if you're not unionized, uh, there is an act uh, in Ontario, uh, a piece of legislation called the Employment Standards Act, which very clearly on the title this defines what the standards of a contract of employment ought to be. Now it was in the news recently because there were some amendments to it that raised the minimum wage. And yes. so a lot of people I think think of the Employment Standards Act as being standards for what are what you have to or what you get as an employee when you're on the job. 
Right. But it also it also talks about it's, it's got a lot of other stuff in it. It's yeah. all general standards of employment and it has health and safety implications. Yep. Sure. It has um, you know obviously wage implications, and it in this case has implications with respect to the termination of employment. So what exists in the Employment Standards Act is a guarantee that when you are terminated, let's say, mm-hmm. not for cause, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into that a little bit later, but for for now, generally speaking, if you're if you're terminated from your job. Uh, the Employment Standards Act guarantees you that mm-hmm. your employer must pay you a certain amount, of, or not not pay you, but give you a certain amount of notice. And this can take one of two forms. It can either... Well, is, sorry, I do know this. It is actually a payment because you do have to report it as income, your income tax... Well, here we, go, here, we, here, we go to the, here we go again to the loaded term notice. Uh, you don't have to pay the person that notice. The notice can be in the form of... I am going to terminate you in a certain number of weeks. Yes, true. This so is you what I'm getting. To get your money. This yeah. is what I'm getting at. Is that people use the word notice to mean different things? It means different things, but really, I think it should be notice or payment in lieu of notice. So the employer will get to the point where they say, "I don't, I don't want this person around. I can't have this person around. Whatever the reason is, mm-hmm. I am going to terminate them. I will terminate you, employee, in X weeks. This is your notice." Yeah. Or Employee, instead of terminating you in X weeks, I will instead pay you that money right now and mm-hmm. you walk out that door. Yeah. That is where how notice is used interchangeably. And that drives me bonkers because while functionally it's the same thing, the difference is, does the person still have to work there? And what is what is the function of keeping them on for, you know, while this sort of Damocles is hanging over their head or giving them a lump sum of money instead of, you know, keeping them on with, it, with this pall over their employment? Like right. the well, idea is... Well, theoretically, like if you want somebody to keep working uh, because there's like an ongoing project or something to do with the business, it's nice, air quotes, for the employer to have the option to say, I will still have the benefit of this person's labor now mm-hmm. versus their labor is surplus to requirements. That's, but it's, it's also for um, the employee's benefit, too, because they have to find another job. Sure. Yeah. Right. And, so and you it, have to it's, it's almost like guaranteeing a soft landing if you are terminated. Right. In a sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that is the the basic problem that people sometimes run into when they're discussing what the end of their uh, employment is, how they're terminated. What what is notice? Pardon me. Mm-hmm. What notice means is either you get you're going to be fired in this amount of time or I'll pay you for that up front. That is what we call termination not for cause. Right. Then there's termination for cause. I think, isn't termination not for cause always called wrongful dismissal, regardless of whether somebody did something wrong? Uh, That's, yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily called that unless, um, it's not necessarily called that unless the dismissal is, violates some basic standard. So you'd bring a claim for wrongful dismissal Mm -hmm. if you say, oh, he was dismissed wrongfully because the notice period that was given to him either in terms of like real days, weeks, or money, was, was insufficient. insufficient, right? Now, okay, so ESA, how can it be insufficient? Okay, well, yeah, okay, so you were going to say the ESA, Right, yeah, right. so the Employment Standards Act, basically, it, it's a little bit archaic, these guidelines, and when I, when <laughs> I, when I say them to you, uh, dear listener, you may be forced to laugh a little bit. Um, the, oh, dear. The Employment Standards Act uh, guarantees that, you know, absent any provision within your employment contract over and above this, right. you are guaranteed... At one year of up to one year of employment, you're guaranteed one week, and then on uh, up until five years, it's one week per year, roughly. One week per year is the minimum. Yes, and so at five years, you are guaranteed five weeks' notice. And what happens after five years? I'm, I shrug. That's it. That's what the Employment Act, Employment Standards Act stipulates. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, but um, I mean, 
that seems, I mean, <laughs> it seems a little low to It me, reflects, well, to yeah. Be perfectly honest. Well, okay. So one of the fundamental ideas of employment law and wrongful dismissal and suing people for this kind of stuff is that it's sort of, it's all about, it's not about getting revenge against the employer. It's no, about setting no. the employee up in a position where they will continue to be able to make a living. So it's yeah. a little bit, these standards are a little bit archaic in the sense that they reflect a regime, an economic regime where people, you know, could get new jobs fairly quickly. Yeah, that's true. It, it, a lot of the, a lot of employment law is, as I understand it, a pendulum, like during good economic times, uh, employment law decisions tend to favor the uh, the corporations over the employee because the employee can always just go out and find a better job. Right, because everyone's hiring. But during uh, downturns, during economic downturns, when jobs are high are harder to get, uh, the employment law decisions tend to favor the employee. Yes. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, so that's so that's what that's all about. Uh, so when you say wrongful dismissal, that's so if if I were say fired by my job. And they uh, they met the Employment Standards Act. That would be quite the trick, given that you're. An owner. Okay, well, let's. Okay, thank you very much. If I fired myself, <laughs> no, no. So, so let's. First yeah, all, I, I would make you do that. The, the underlying assumption here is that I work. A shovel. The underlying assumption here should be. I can't believe I have to say it. <laughs> that I'm working for somebody else as an employee, having established this hypothetical. Okay. If I am fired from my job, <laughs> and the Employment Standards Act say we've been working there for two years. The ESA stipulates I get my two weeks notice. Yeah. They give me my two weeks notice, but let's say I think that maybe I deserve more. Yeah. This, how would you know if you how, how would I know? Well, uh, the thing is that we have a, a, a line of court decisions in Ontario that establishes what the considerations are for establishing what the actual suggested notice period is for somebody above and beyond the Employment Standards Act minima. Okay. Uh, stretching all the way back to 1960. Uh, yes, I that's, think. that storied year where uh, I don't. Re okay, I'll, I'll say outright. I don't re really remember the facts of the case. That's not I, what they, I don't think anyone does. That's not what they, not, it's not what they teach you in law school when they give you this case. Um, but it's a uh, Bartle and Globe and Mail, where I just assume an individual was employed by the Globe and Mail, and they were fired for what they thought was an unreasonable, given an unreasonable notice period. Yeah. And what happened was a case, uh, a test was developed. And you remember we've talked about tests before. Legal the tests. Legal yeah. tests, the sort of a checklist of questions that lawyers ask themselves uh, to determine whether this or that fact pattern falls under a certain rubric. And, and they are sometimes explicitly laid out in case law. Yeah, and sometimes they, they give us, a, yeah, so the, the test here for the, well, it's not a firm test because it's not, okay, <laughs> like many legal tests, it's a little bit cloudy and fuzzy. And there may be like a far end of what is likely to be awarded mm -hmm. and a low end of what is likely to be awarded. And then somehow a judge uh, uses this nexus of factors and comes up with a number that they think is yeah. reasonable. You also have, of course, the pendulum in this case yeah. that I was talking about before. So even if you have two cases with absolutely identical facts, depending if one of them on the happened, prevailing yeah. economic... If one of them happened in 2009 and one of them happened in 2006, you get very different answers. Oh, yeah, definitely different answers, for yeah. sure. So, so um, the factors here under, this, uh, under Bartle yeah. that uh, a court will look at to determine whether a given notice period is reasonable is the age of the employee... The length of their service, the character of their employment, like what kind of like responsibilities? Mickey Mouse or <laughs> oh god, and uh, and the the availability of similar employment. And to me, that's kind of the giveaway, as that this reflects an ability, uh, the ability of the individual who's been terminated yeah. to find more work. Because again, this the, isn't the about the entire policy is about this giving isn't about, people a way to find yeah, another living. It's not about punishing uh, uh, employ employers 
not not the outset yeah. for dismissing people. It's just saying, oh, you've dismissed them. This is a wrongful, i.e., insufficient period of notice. Yeah. Because either they are very old, uh, or because they have a very specific uh, skill set that's only applicable in this job field, and they can't yeah. find something within that same job field from which they were just terminated. Yeah, like we, we have these protections up here in, in Ontario because we don't want to have the situations that you see so often down in the United States of, uh, you know, a 65 or 70 year old individual um, working at uh, relatively menial labor, yeah, uh, Walmart greeter or fast food service uh, clerk because they were, you know, possibly let go from their job in the mid 50 in their mid 50s. Yeah. Uh, in uh, what they call a right-to-work state, so very few uh, employment protections, mm-hmm. uh, relatively speaking. Um, and uh, then eventually their their nest egg just runs out and they have to take, uh, you know, whatever employment is available for a 65, 70-year-old. Yeah. And so what these, yeah, and these factors are applied. Generally speaking, I mentioned that there's sort of an out, like an outer limit for these. And more or less, I don't think I've ever seen anything, uh, any award bigger than about two years. Um and that's generally what you get with there's somebody who's very high up in, in a given position or in a given uh, employment context, somebody who's a like very, senior very sudden termination, senior and... management suddenly terminated. They're old. Uh, the job sector itself is narrowing. They, um, they've been working forever at that one particular company. Yeah. yeah. Things like that. That those, to... those are all factors that would tend to lengthen the notice period. Whereas individuals who are uh, young, perhaps uh, hadn't been working for very long. Uh, and uh, at relatively unskilled labor, mm-hmm. they tend to get like they tend to not be able to improve themselves over. Yeah, they'd be pinned closer down to the lower end of the uh, of the scale, right around where the Employment Standards Act obligations would put their employer anyway. Yeah. So what often will happen, because we live in an economic environment where people, especially around our, our age mm-hmm. uh, and and younger, are in a pretty precarious position, you will frequently find uh, employers when they terminate somebody not for cause, yeah. uh, to pick a number, a notice number that's just a little over the ESA obligation. Because and maybe even a little bit over the minimum Bartle. Sure, and even what, what a well. minimum Bartle might be, because, because who's going to go to war over a week or two weeks of notice when you're talking about maybe a few thousand dollars, right, if that. Because it is, it is uh, weeks of notice, yes. so it, it's, it's not enormous lump sum payments mm-hmm. that are un, like they're, they're unmoored from anything else in your in your profession, it was your salary. Sort of how much money you were making? Yeah, yeah. If yeah, I mean, it, I guess you could probably argue that you were being insufficiently compensated beforehand. But this is not <laughs> this is not where you would be making that argument. This is, yeah, yeah. This argument here is or the the terms of this discussion between yourself and your former employer are the salary you were being paid on the contract you agreed to. Yeah, and how much time they gave you to find new employment, either through actual application of, of time at the job mm-hmm. or just a big brick of money that accounts for some amount of that. So that's uh, usually there's also accumulated vacation pay and stuff. Yeah. Like all that. that other stuff, all the other things you're entitled to by virtue of your job, yeah. that all comes down to you. So if you have leftover vacation time, if you have leftover commission to be calculated, any of that stuff, that's yours. That's stuff you've bargained for, like you bargained for in your employment contract, that's money owed to you. So we keep uh, talking about calculations. So when, Let's say uh, uh, somebody were to come into your office uh, with one of these notices of dismissal, uh, laying out uh, an amount of money, pay in lieu of notice. Do they blow out that calculation to say how they arrived at whatever number they're 
uh, offering the dismissed employee? You or, mean, does the other side? Yeah. Does the employer normally do that? Uh, I mean, sometimes they do. Typically, I would say no. Like that's that can be not, if you if you push them on it, you can maybe come to a point where. Uh, I mean, depending on who's the other side, mm -hmm. you might get into a discussion about how they allocated certain dollars there, but it's more black boxy usually because um, why? So, but why is that? Do you think? Why do I think that is? Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of it is because they're not used to. Well, one of the things that happens very frequently mm -hmm. is that the individuals who come up with these numbers are the individuals who are sort of the the tip of the spear on the employer side. Yeah, aren't lawyers. Their human resources yeah. or their otherwise executive personnel, they have maybe a, a set of guidelines that the, their company has developed, and they they just sort of oh, they so execute. They, so that. They, if they um, did the calculation for the employee, they'd actually be giving away the secret internal company guideline. Yeah, any or anything like that, and that could very quickly. You could imagine that could very quickly steamroll. Notwithstanding the fact that. Uh, what we call release agreements, the you know what what, you're, what an employee might sign when they're getting their notice yeah. period severance, they often have to sign a release agreement that says stuff like "Don't talk about this agreement." Uh, so yeah, you yeah. if you if you give away the game to one employee, then they just sort of go behind the the employer's back to tell everybody what they got and how they how the company arrived at it. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you have the possibility of, I mean heaven forfend, they all should choose to unionize because they're all getting screwed or something, right? But who knows? Christian, but then Christian, how would an employee who's being dismissed know whether they're being offered a fair amount? Well, Andrew, they would just have to trust in the the uh, the largesse and the noblesse oblige of their betters. Oh, they, good answer. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. just, that's, I'm, I'm totally satisfied. That's the way our employment <laughs> regime works, is we trust that the those at the top got there out of pure merit and decency. So since we've all agreed on that now, uh, okay, Let, let's just say I'm I'm slightly dissatisfied with that answer. Are you? Well, what, what my what's my second best option? Your second best option? Um, well, you might want to go to an employment lawyer. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's something that that employment lawyers love to do is pour over reams and reams of case law, trying to find something that most closely fits mm -hmm. the exact factors that you present. So you could come in. I mean, it, it's tough because again, as you say, yeah, as we've said many times, this is all dependent on many. It's all it's all what we would call fact based, right? It's all very much dependent on the individual facts and the case at hand. And one of those facts is when it happens. And another yeah. case is another fact is what job sector is it? So it's very difficult to go through reams of case law and find an exact match. But but that said, there are, I mean, wrongful dismissal cases are an enormous area of civil litigation. Yes. A lot of it settles out of court through, but a lot of it goes through mm -hmm. the entire court process. You end up with a report decision. Thousands of report decisions. Like if you go into uh, the Ontario reports or if you do a survey of what's coming up on uh, Canly, the, uh, the publicly accessible legal database, I it could even be on in some months a good half of the reported decisions. Yeah, the issue isn't the issue isn't the availability of data. The, the, issue, the issue is, is going through is going through data. it. Now I now, do who, wa who wants to right like lawyers obviously we're getting paid to do that, but there I'm hoping that uh, you are aware of these the online tools. There are. there are online tools. Uh, I've been watching one. Well, there's one at <laughs> one that I watch because the name is so on the nose. Oh, yeah, is the yeah, one yeah. at bartlefactors.ca. Yeah, um, that's very, very interesting factors. tool. Yeah, yeah, and and not affiliated with us in any way. No, uh, but it's just a, it's one of these aggregators that says, well, enter some facts relevant to the situation at hand, and yeah. we'll give you a range of possible values. Yeah, it uses uh, fuzzy logic to try and match the facts to as many cases as it can, yeah. and then gives you a range. Yeah, and I, I understand as well that many of the practice management tools or suites that law offices use, like ourselves, yeah, um, have 
services that are also meant to aggregate these decisions and give some kind of quantum range yeah. of, of, uh, of value. Yeah, for sure. Uh, employment law in particular is very, wrongful dismissal cases as a sub-area of employment law in particular, is very permeable to that kind of analysis, that sort of big data analysis, because there are so many decisions and the, uh, the factors are relatively numeric. Mm-hmm. Like you have two of them, which are just age and length of service. Yeah. And the other one's character of employment. Well, you can do that sort of by category, category that Manage, out like five different ways, manager, right? technician, right. And availability of similar employment. Well, that's a little bit fuzzier, but the wonderful thing about having so many judges be being, you know, aware of these factors and is laying them out address them. is that they'll actually have a heading availability of similar employment. And it'll say something that's actually searchable. Like, yes, there was lots of similar employment. No, there was not. And so, you know, a, a natural language processor can probably turn through a whole bunch of cases. So it's an interesting area because it's probably one of the more permeable areas to big data. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it would be amazing if more people were using this tool, if this tool saw more use. I mean, it's not legal advice. And uh, even if you see something out of whack, uh, like if uh, the Bartle Factors website suggests that you should be getting significantly more or significantly less, than what's offered to you in the employment letter that doesn't necessarily mean that something is wrong because of course computers mm-hmm. are not smart right uh in the way that lawyers can be at times so um you know you can always get your uh, intuition checked out but it's a wonderful little tool to play around with um especially if you're sort of the morbid sort and you're like if i were fired today well, well my guess is that i mean the reality of the situation is i mean as i was saying before yeah uh, a savvy employer will will game it out so that their 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 offer to you as the terminated employee is just under what is somewhere between what you'd be willing to fight about if you got yeah. and what the absolutely reasonable number would be. So and they have access to these tools too. Yeah. So Oh yeah, yeah. It's so, all it's all open information. And and it's all and of course it, anything that 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 limits the amount of fighting we do over this stuff is probably for the better because that's economically inefficient. But if you're not having the fight every now and again, then how can you check your assumptions? Exactly. So employers will presumably be using these tools, and eventually one of them will mess up. They will will misapprehend the factors in uh, a quantum that they came up with through these research tools. Mm -hmm. They'll put it to a terminated employee, and the terminated employee will have the gumption and the moxie to stand up to it, and (laughs) then we'll have a new case. The gumption and the moxie. Yeah. And then we'll all go down to the soda hop. Yeah, we'll all go down to the drugstore and get ourselves a, get ourselves a phosphate. Uh yeah. So so that's that's uh the scene with um <laughs> with wrongful dismissal. We're going right back to the sixties. <laughs> yeah. Well, forties really. Uh but yeah, go, going back to nineteen sixties. Sure, yeah. yeah. But that's all just the area of, of you know wrongful dismissal. There's also um, you know, termination for cause, which is a very different thing. Which altogether. is the sort of the capital punishment. Yeah, of... that's that's exactly the term people use, and that's yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that's a very a much higher threshold, and it's it's fairly uncommon for, um, yeah, fairly yeah. uncommon to terminate someone for cause when you could just kick them, you know, five to eight weeks of salary, uh, depending on how long you've suffered them to stay or stay on at your workplace. Yeah. Uh, um. The the one uh, I mean, just a little coda to all of this. Um. To the employers out there. Economic downturn is not a cause. Yeah, you can't you can't just say that. Well, since we're not making a lot of money anymore, that's a very good point, actually. Uh, since we're not making as much money, it has caused us to to terminate you. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> yeah. It's it, it's not the actual logical cause and effect. No. Yeah. There are, there are causes the, that the, permit you to terminate. The classic phrase that is used in in decisions about termination for cause is that whatever transpired, whatever the employee did 
what or didn't do yeah. must have led to a fundamental breaking down of the relationship of the employer, the employer employee contract. So yeah. something something that made it that it would be it would be impossible for the employer to trust the employee to execute their duties. Theft at work, damage of property, assault of another employee. But, and, and what's interesting too is if you sort of if you sort of look at it, look at the case law and in a philosophical way, you'll find that it's respective of the Bartle factors as well in a slightly yeah. different way because you, for example, one of the examples that I've seen used is, you know, week two of a secretary being there, being slightly dishonest, that might get you canned. Week, you know, 500, she's been there for 20 years. Yeah. And uh, you, no, you, you get away with it because you've contributed over the course of this period of time. So um, it's, it's an interesting, it is an interesting philosophy because it almost, uh, you're almost going into Marxism. Well, you know, the labor has been exploited enough by the capitalists that they can <laughs> take just uh, $5 out of the till every now and again, and we're going to look the other way. Right. But right. Maybe over time, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I mean, maybe a more direct way of putting it that I would have picked, but yeah, you're, that's totally accurate. Like early on in the Sorry, I, I was marching in the Labor Day parade. Oh yeah. And well, so I'm, I'm totally thinking about Marxism. Oh, I'm always thinking about Marxism. Don't, <laughs> don't, you don't have to explain yourself to me at all. Uh, oh, that beard. Yeah, I know it's, it's hard work, man. I'm going to get it great one day. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's, it's, it's a different field, but it also echoes the Bartle factors as you would expect, because this is what employers, employees keep in mind when they're assess when they're assessing what their relationship is. How long have I been here? What's our level of trust? What am I actually doing? And it only makes sense that these things would would come into play when assessing whether a cause for termination has arisen. Yeah, so there you go. Just exactly. as yeah, just as you would assess whether the termination notice period was reasonable and sufficient. So I know that we could go on for hours and hours about this. We haven't even touched constructive dismissal. We haven't even really. I mean, we we've scratched the surface of termination for cause. We didn't even really talk about quitting, but uh, <laughs> I think uh, I think that might be enough. For this today. is a good. I think this is a good thumbnail sketch because the thing that most people seem to be concerned about with respect to their employment is the the mechanism of deciding whether what they got when they got fired was fair. And it, it, the fact of the matter is that there are ways to determine what a court would likely award you mm -hmm. in a vacuum, which is good, useful information for both sides in determining what they're comfortable agreeing to. And knowing the ESA, as low, as pathetically low as they are, mm -hmm. the ESA standards do exist, so you have some certainty as to what your guaranteed legal minimum is. Very so cool. And that exists, so yeah. there you go. So, uh, yeah, we'll pick this up again uh, later on, but like I said, it is enough for today. Uh, special thanks to our producer, Michael. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Remember that you can leave a comment for us wherever you find us on the internet, uh, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, don't forget to like us, share us, and enjoy this and all of our other fine podcasts. Thanks for stopping by, everybody.